KYW News Radio Original Podcasts. This is KYW News Radio in depth. I'm Matt Leon. So, how will the incoming presidential administration of Joe Biden deal with foreign policy? There are obviously situations and relationships across the globe that need immediate attention once he takes office. So, what should we expect? Wanted to find out, so reached out to Dr. Richard Joyoso. He is an assistant professor of political science at St. Joseph's University. We cover a lot here. Give a listen. So, when we look at the incoming Biden administration and what we will see with regards to foreign policy, given some of the people that he's decided to put in place and knowing his history in Washington, what do you expect kind of the overarching theme of the Biden administration's approach to foreign policy to be? The overarching theme of the new Biden administration will be very similar to the Obama administration, I believe. The reason that Joe Biden was chosen, one of the reasons by Barack Obama for his um, as vice president was because of his deep and long foreign policy experience. As a senator, he had been on the Foreign Relations Committee. And so eight years of vice presidency under Barack Obama gives us a very comprehensive understanding of what Joe Biden himself as president will emphasize. And I imagine that as he's already stated, And given the choices that he's already made regarding some of his top tier foreign policy advisors, Joe Biden will return to an emphasis on alliances with traditional allies of the United States. This is especially important, I think, with uh, U.S. and Canada, with European countries and the European Union forming part of NATO, the North Atlantic Treaty Organization, which is the classic American security pact. So it will be curious to hear how President-elect Biden, what kind of pronouncements he makes, what kind of speeches he makes about his own vision of the world once he gets into office. He has incredibly deep and long relationships with many of the world leaders, including Angela Merkel, who within the European Union is a very big player. And I think he will refresh, renew the relationships between the United States and the classic allies, which have been in effect since the late 1940s. The last four years, obviously, the Trump administration took a much different tact to foreign policy. I would say that some of the alliances are strained. Some of the relationships are strained. Are these things that can be, I don't know, that these European countries, other countries will look at and go, this is a return to normalcy and everything will be okay? Or do you think we'll see some allies that kind of uh, a a little bit of a trust but verify because, you know, only four years from now going to be another election and who knows? Will there always be a little seed of doubt in the back of, of some of our allies' heads? Well, I think that the nature of an alliance is for there always to be a little seed of doubt in the back of all allies' heads around when push comes to shove, can we really count on our partners and our alliances? The United States, Canada, the European Union, um, as far as NATO is concerned, have been a very solid pact over the years. Sure, there's going to be an increased maybe skepticism because the Trump administration's approach to alliances was has been fairly different than previous presidencies. So 
I imagine that, yes, there is some relief by certain European leaders that they will be able to reconnect with an American administration that seems familiar, that sounds familiar, that acts more in line with expectations. On the other hand, new re the relationships will evolve. And what the Trump administration has done is to force a reimagining and a re-implementation with, tra with American traditional allies for the future. So I think that, for example, with the United States, especially the President Trump himself expressing skepticism around the value of NATO, his strained relationships with the leaders of other North Atlantic Treaty Organization countries, including long, you know, very long-term and solid American allies like France and Germany in particular, unsettled those relationships. And so the Europeans began to focus more on reimagining their own security. European security has been American security and American security, by extension, European security for over 70 years through NATO with a, some uncertainty because of the Trump administration's approach to NATO alliances, Europe has begun to change their own stance around their security. And that's not a bad thing for Europe, as well as for the United States. Many of the relationships that the United States has had need refreshing and rejuvenating. They need modernizing. And NATO is one of them. It's not just President Trump who has emphasized that many NATO countries are not contributing their share towards the security agreement. And so by creating some disruption, although it creates some uncertainty, it creates new opportunities. And that we see that the European countries, for example, have begun to imagine their own European Union defense collective. There is disruption, but that disruption also creates opportunity. So how about the U.S.-China relationship? It's obviously complicated. It obviously is something that has to be looked at from different levels. How do you see the Biden administration approaching this? I mean, because we can talk tariffs, we can talk intellectual property, we can talk human rights. What do you see here? First and foremost, I see with the naming of former Secretary of State John Kerry as the special envoy on climate change, an emphasis on climate, and that's been clear all throughout the campaign, President-elect Biden has, was very clear about climate change being an important security and economic factor in his vision of the United States today and in the future. And so that relationship between the United States and China regarding climate change, and especially the formulation and the implementation of the Paris Climate Accord is a great opportunity to build or to rebuild a working relationship on a mutually beneficial topic, which is China's very concerned about, or the Chinese authorities are very concerned about climate change, about pollution for their own populations and also by extension for the region and for the world. If we have leadership in the United States that also emphasizes climate change in its various dimensions. So I, I especially point to climate change as a national security issue as well as climate change as a economic issue, then this creates some positive interaction and collaboration. That's, of course, there are trade-offs 
to re-enter the Paris Climate Accord. And I heard the other day John Kerry say that as of day one in the Biden administration, the United States will rejoin the Paris Climate Accord. So in order to rejoin the Paris Climate Accord, the United States and China will, ha- will work together again. And John Kerry was fundamental in the, during the Obama administration, and he will be fundamental again. So on the other hand, what about the trade dispute? So the, the Trump administration has, had a, has followed a very hard line regarding China and its violations of free trade agreements, both or especially through the World Trade Organization, as and emphasizing how the United States has lost out, how American firms, how American workers have lost out due to outsourcing of jobs and the transfer of factories through globalization from the United States to Asia, in particular China. There is something lost, however, in when emphasizing bringing back American jobs, and that is to say that globalization has has happened in a way that is favorable to many companies, to many individuals, and also just the nature of economic development around the world. So one of the reasons that China and other East Asian and Southeast Asian countries are important now for transnational or multinational um, US-based corporations is because they are a hub of consumption. So this creates a lot of opportunities as well for the United States for companies to expand and grow because they have local markets in East Asia and Southeast Asia. So to think that the loss of American jobs or the moving of some American manufacturing in particular to other parts of the world is a bad thing, it does have negative consequences, undoubtedly. However, it also creates opportunities. And I think that's what, again, it it will be very interesting to hear President-elect Biden, once he takes office, to express what his view of the United States in the world is. And so as an advanced economy, as a wealthy country, as a historic leader after World War II, there's an opportunity for the, for the United States to advance its vision of globalization. So part of this happens through trade pacts, for, the, for example, and I could see the um, Biden administration, once it takes office, to think about joining at least one of the trade pacts that the United States left under the Trump administration, and that would be the Trans-Pacific Partnership, which has been signed by 11 countries. And it's a large swath of the world. It circles the Pacific Rim, so countries including Mexico and Peru and Australia and South Korea and Japan would become members of this trade pact and that there would be a more dynamic economic exchange between these countries because of it. I would just say that notice that the United States has had left that pact and the Chinese, meanwhile, the Chinese government have negotiated a new trade pact. It's called RCEP, the Regional Comprehensive Economic Pact, and it encapsulates I think 14 countries. And the idea behind that trade pact is to create more dynamism as well. So again, I would emphasize that the Trump administration in creating disruption, in creating some discord with China regarding trade has also created opportunities. At the same time, it's very important to to realize that the Trump administration has been aggressive in challenging the status quo 
the Chinese government prefers. So this is especially the case with Taiwan, where the United, uh, the United States has sent over three high-level, cabinet-level um, representatives to meet with Taiwanese leaders. And the, the, chi the Chinese government sees this as a violation of their sovereignty. And so by the United States engaging more openly with Taiwan, by recognizing it more as an independent actor, this stirs a lot of discomfort and a lot of anger within the political elite and the Communist Party in Beijing. And it is an ember. There's something burning there. And so we have a redefinition of the trade relationship between China and trade competition between the U.S. and China. We have U.S. and Taiwanese relations, which, are all, which also play a very important part in U.S.-China relations. There is also something pending that this is a bilateral security question, but also a collective security question for the world, which is the expansion of nuclear arms. So this is also relevant for the United States and Russia relations, because there have been some of the arms treaties that have limited the amount of research and development of weapons between the United States. These have, they, they have expired. Meanwhile, the Trump administration has tried to incorporate China into these negotiations with Russia in order to have, instead of a bilateral pact between the United States and Russia, to have a trilateral pact, including China. China has not agreed to this setup. So we have, you know, that's another very concerning aspect of global security with the expiration of some of the arms treaties that inhibited the amount of growth in nuclear arms with their expiring, then uh, this creates opportunities for both Russia and the United States and the interested parties within each one of these countries to expand. You mentioned Russia with regards to nuclear Weapon. How do you see, because the Trump administration's relationship with Russia, weird, <laughs> is, I guess is one word to, <laughs> to, to use. Um, I think, to be fair, what you saw from President Trump didn't necessarily match some of the things we saw through Congress and through members of the administration who were much more traditional hardline towards Russia. But it, it has been an odd four years you know, going to impeachment and all that, that we've seen this threat of Russia in everything. So what do the next four years you think look like with regards to the U.S. and Russia? It's going to be quite the untangling. It will be the, quite the untangling. I agree. So I think that the United States, the, the relationship with Russia over time, despite the skepticism over President Trump's relationship or favoring of President Putin of Russia and other you know, uncertainties around why President Trump has hesitated to come out strongly against certain actions performed by Russia and by President Putin himself. The, the administration has followed a traditional line, you're right, and relations have taken, have gone in a, in a negative direction. So there is more tension between the United States and Russia in part because of the arms treaties that I would, that I had mentioned previously um, than there was during the Obama administration. So it is an open question exactly how the Biden administration will approach Russia. 
So there have been various resets in the past, you know, an attempt to re-envision the relationship between the United States and Russia. On the American side, there were have even been hopes, and this is since the end of the Cold War, so since the 1990s, of um, redefining the relationship with Russia to include Russia into the view of the Western world, to, to incorporate Russia into Central and Western Europe in a way that maybe even Russia would have joined NATO. This would have been a radical re redefinition of US-Russia relations. It never happened. So one thing that is pending and that has really been stagnating actually during the Trump administration is the Ukraine question. So there are um, sanctions by the United States, by the European Union against Russia because of its behavior in, in invading um, Ukraine and taking over Crimea. This was in 2014. And the ongoing war in, in eastern Ukraine. What is clear to me about the choices that um, President-elect Biden has made in his foreign policy thus far is that speaking with one voice is going to be important. During the Trump, this is especially important because during the Trump administration, President Trump was often or does often say one thing, and yet the administration seems to do another. So whereas President Trump has not criticized Russia frequently regarding Russian actions, at the same time, the administration has absolutely continued to confront Russia through the various agencies of the United States. So you could think about the Def Defense Department, the Department of State, etc. The Biden administration, I'm confident, is going to set out a policy and have all of the representatives. So this goes from the um, ambassador to the United Nations to the president himself and the vice president herself, as well as the secretary of state to speak with one voice and for, to that, for that voice to match the behavior of the agencies, namely state and defense that interact with with Russia. So that's I, what exactly that stance is going to be. It's unclear to me. There has been much more of an emphasis on reestablishing traditional uh, alliances or reinvigorating those alliances um, than there has been in defining what the, what the United States stance towards Russia is going to be. It's an, it's an open question. I do know that because of the, these big issues that are pending regarding arms, regarding Ukraine, regarding Russia and Ru the Russian and Chinese relationship, which has consolidated some over the past five years, so specifically during the Trump administration, it is unclear to me exactly what the, the Biden administration, what route they're going to take in order to confront Russia. I think that there is more concern with China on many different factors than there seems to be right now with Russia. And to wind this down and bring it home, and you kind of referenced Canada when talking about NATO and plugging them in. Canada and Mexico, the Trump administration, the president specifically was antagonistic, specifically, obviously, towards Mexico in his 2016 campaign. You didn't hear nearly as much as his administration went through. Um, every once in a while, you'd hear something about building the wall. But for the most part, it seemed like Mexico was working hard to try to make President Trump 
happy and not have him attack them, not literally attack them, but it, uh, with rhetoric and such. Do you see a return to what we had been used to with regards to Mexico and Canada under uh, President-elect Biden? I do. I, so it, traditionally, the American president, his first international trip has been to one either our northern neighbor or our neighbor to the south. So either to Canada or to Mexico, respectively. I, am, I imagine that that will be the case and that will be a, a very clear signal to our immediate neighbors that the United States will return to not a unified approach, but to a neighborly approach. So because of the, the, the trade pact, the North American Free Trade Agreement, NAFTA, which was renegotiated under the Trump administration and is called the USMCA, United States, Mexico and Canada Trade Pact. Now, the three countries are very conjoined economically and the foreign relations dip diplomacy between those countries has been strained more over the Trump administration and I imagine that the Biden administration will absolutely want to fortify those relationships again. And I know that I said my last question, but is there any area of the world that we haven't touched on that you are particularly interested to see how the Biden administration approaches, not necessarily compare and contrast with what we've seen from a Trump administration, but just in general where this area is uh, strategically where it is as far as ascending in the world, anything you really are very interested in keeping an eye on? So I'm, I might uh, take the opportunity to talk about two, Matt, if you don't mind. One is all. absolutely the Middle East. So the Eastern Mediterranean and the Middle East. So Israeli-Palestinian relations in particular, that relationship and that kind of evolving puzzle of how will these two entities the Palestinian territories and Israel advance in the future is couched in larger questions of alliances and stabilities and relationships within the Middle East. So one of the tremendous foreign policy achievements of the United States has been to be involved in the normalization of relation of the relationship between formal diplomacy and economic ties between Israel and the United Arab Emirates and Israel and Bahrain. Following that, we saw Israel and Sudan um, reinitiate diplomacy. There have been just over the weekend, there was talk that for, um, Israeli Prime Minister ben Benjamin Netanyahu met with the Saudi Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman. That is creating a tremendous shift in the region. It will be incumbent upon the Biden administration in order to shape that in the future. There is a lot of movement happening in large part because Israel and Saudi Arabia, the big players in the region, are both, both have a very adversarial relationship against Iran. So with the Biden administration in particular, and just back to my very first statement, we can see what the Biden administration's approach will be based on the past, President Obama and Vice President Biden were very in favor of a joint comprehensive plan of action for nuclear arms control with Iran. This opening with Iran, and it was a hard one joint comprehensive plan of action that included Iran, the United States, 
various European powers, China and Russia, created great unease within Saudi leadership and with Israeli leadership because transformation was happening between Iran and foreign powers, especially the United States. And Iran was going to be normalized a bit, not fully, but normalized a bit back into the regional kind of community and more into global relations. Um, once the United States pulled out of that joint comprehensive plan of action under, during the Trump administration, this sent Iran back into, slowly but surely, it's become more and more isolated. Um, the U.S. has put more and more sanctions, economic sanctions against Iran. And so I would imagine that the Biden administration is going to return to negotiate with the Iranians, perhaps try to rejoin the joint comprehensive plan of action because which and the purpose of that joint comprehensive plan of action was to limit the development of nuclear weapons by the Iranian government. And it was effective in doing so. But the normalized relationship with Iran created the dis-ease and the uncertainty within the Saudi leadership and within Israeli leadership about American interests and American commitments to both of those countries as major security partners. The Trump administration in normalizing relations between Israel and the UAE and Israel and other Arab countries was building a block that would be able to rival Iran. If the Biden administration pursues greater broader, deeper negotiations with Iran in order to rejoin the Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action, it is very possible that U.S. relations with Saudi Arabia and with, uh, with Israel become strained again. They were strained under the Obama administration because of the diplomacy with Iran and the Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action. So there are many moving parts here. There are many interests and values and relationships within the Middle East and the Trump administration undoubtedly took a very hard um, approach towards Iran and fortified its relationship with Saudi Arabia and Israel. We will see how Israeli leadership and Saudi leadership engage with the Biden administration because Iran is the greatest worry of Israel and of Saudi Arabia. Can I mention my second one? Absolutely. India. So India is a rising power besides its large territory and its very large population of 1.2 or 3 billion people. It is also the largest democracy in the world. And the United States has actively been pursuing a broader and deeper relationship with India. This is also a factor in U.S.-China relations as well. So India and China share a border. They're both very large countries. They're both um, nuclear weapon states. So there are many different angles of rivalry between China and India. And the United States in becoming or in developing its relationship with India has also been able to strategically confront China on more fronts. So there have been tensions between India and China. There are tensions between India and China now. These revolve frequently around disputed border regions or territorial regions whose identity is unclear. Who do these regions belong to? 
And so there have been military confrontations between China and India in the past couple of years. Well, since 2017, actually. And, and it's tense. There are great tensions between those two countries. So the way how India um, continues to develop its democracy, to, to consolidate its democracy, to develop as an ec- uh, economically, to grow, as well as the role that India plays in the global distribution of power. So we can think about some countries as being primary powers. Clearly, we have the United States as a global power, Russia as a as a traditional great power. But after, you know, it, it is still floating around in a sea. Uh, it's not the power that it once was. And we have a rising China. But we cannot forget about India as a rising power that has its own values and interests, its own approach to its national security as well as regional security. It has its own foreign policy disputes as well as collaborations with China, but a, a, a handful of disputes that are not insignificant. And as and India also is a, a strategic partner of the United States. So that is another player to watch as far as global politics is concerned. That's it for this episode of KYW News Radio In Depth. You can listen and subscribe to the podcast on the radio.com app or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Matt Leon, and we'll have another episode out soon.